Come on, I'm so excited. There is no better day to be in God's house than on Halloween. No better day to give the devil a black eye than on Halloween. No better day to lift up the name of Jesus than on Halloween. How many of you believe that there's no devil, no demon, no ruler or principality of the kingdom of darkness? Nothing greater, come on, nothing stronger, nothing more mighty than the presence and power of God. I think it's so powerful on a day where darkness is so celebrated and glamorized that we are in God's house lifting up the name of Jesus. And we're going to have some fun today. God, I just pray right now that you would fill this room. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. God, I pray that our hearts would be open. Our hearts would be open to receive from you, God. I pray that you would give a word today to each and every individual, no matter what season of life, no matter what situation, no matter what storm or what trial. God, I pray you would speak. I pray we would leave these doors different than how we came in. Let us leave different. Let us leave changed. Let us leave encouraged and empowered and convicted by your word and your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we honor you. Thank you for what you're going to do today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Come on. Well, not only is today Halloween, it's the last day of Pastor Appreciation Month. And I think we have the most incredible pastors on the entire planet, don't you? Yes. Pastor Dustin and Jamie, there is nobody like them. No one I respect more, no one I love and appreciate more. And of course, our founding pastors, Pastor Steve and Lisa Collins, the best, the best, the best. I'm telling you. Oh my gosh, I appreciate them and just honor them so much. And, and our, our amazing campus pastors and youth pastors. One more time, can we just thank God for all of our pastors and our leaders? So good. Well, if you are new or you've missed the past few weeks, we have been in this series called Presence Over Everything. Presence over everything. And this series is all about putting the presence of God back in its rightful place as first in our lives. And I don't know about you, but uh, I take a moment and I really think about that, that the presence of God is the most important thing in my life. And that's a really bold statement, isn't it? Yeah. If you really think about it, because we have so many other priorities in our life. Yeah. I mean, you think about the, what's important to us in our lives. We have full-time jobs right? We have families. We have kids. Our kids are in sports. And for a lot of you, your kid's sports is a full-time job. For real. We have, we're trying to provide food on the table, pay bills. I mean, the holidays are coming up. My goodness, we are so busy. And the demand of our culture and our world is so high that the presence of God tends to sometimes take a back seat. And becomes maybe second, third, fourth priority in our lives. And, and if we're not careful, becomes a small part of our lives. But this series is all about saying that the presence of God is not meant to be a small part. And the presence of God is never meant to operate and work around the rest of our crazy lives. Everything else is supposed to operate around the presence of God. It's supposed to be first. Somebody say priorities. Say it like you mean it. Say priorities. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 
says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Presence over everything. And I'm so excited to continue our series today. We're going to be talking all about the purpose, the purpose of the presence of God. The purpose of the presence of God. Have you ever received a gift from someone that you don't know what its purpose is? <laughs> you ever received a gift that you are just like, what in the world is this for? This has happened a lot to Marshall and I quite recently because we are expecting, we are so excited in about two and a half, two and a half months, we're having a baby boy and we're so excited. Now, this is our first one. And uh, we are so thankful for friends and family that are so generous, making sure we're taken care of, making sure we know, you know, all the things that we need. But I have to be really honest this morning. There's some baby items that I am just like, what in the world is that? <laughs> right? <laughs> they give it to us, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank you. And I'm thinking, what is that? <laughs> I don't know what its purpose is. And uh, I was thinking about this, that in order to value something and in order to use something, we have to know what its purpose is. You know, it's the same thing with the presence of God. In order for us to value it, number one, and use it in our daily lives, we have to know what its purpose is. See, we've learned in the past few weeks, if you have been attending, that the, the presence of God is a gift for all of us. It is a free gift for every single one of us. That it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter your past, your resume, whatever. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, you're a leader, how long you've been a Christian. The presence of God is for everyone. Acts chapter 2 verse 39 says the, this promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is a free gift for every single one of us to use. But my question today is, what is it for? What is its purpose? What does it do? Why does it matter? Why is it critical? Why is it so important to us? Why did Jesus say before he ascended into heaven that it is better for me to go so that I can send you my Holy Spirit? Why is that? And we're going to answer that question today by looking at a man named Peter in the Bible. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, or you can um, see the screen here, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 31. Just to give you a little context, this is the Last Supper, the night before Jesus is crucified. And so he's sitting around the table with his disciples, and this is what he says to them. He says, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter replied, even if everyone falls away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered this very night, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I never, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. You know, I believe that Peter had a genuine heart when he said this. And I believe he meant what he said. 
And I believe he had all the good intentions in the world. He didn't want to disown Jesus. He loved Jesus. But we see just a few verses later, starting in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You, were, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out into the, the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it again with an oath. With an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Have you ever said that you wouldn't do something? And then it's just a matter of time, and you end up doing it. <laughs> you ever said, I would never do this? And you know that saying, never say never, right? Never say never. This happens a lot. I think it's most evident probably when it comes to dieting, right? <laughs> you ever started a diet, and you said, I will not eat sugar for the next 30 days, no sugar. I'm talking nothing. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm not even going to touch it. Nothing. And then you might, you know, find yourself at BJ's with some friends. Or is this just me? <laughs> and they have $5 pazookies. Oh, my goodness. And you do really good at first. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm not touching sugar. Mm -mm. But then everybody else's gets there, and it's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> And then you end up caving, and you're like, okay, I'll take one. That's it. I can't take it anymore. Or maybe, you know, my weakness, my kryptonite is chips and queso. I'm just never, I'm never going to deny that one. <laughs> I just don't even try anymore. Or maybe, you know, when it comes to your budget, you're looking at your monthly budget, maybe by yourself or with your spouse, and you're like, okay, this month I'm serious. I am not going to go over budget. I'm for real. I will not go outside of these categories. I'm not going to go over budget. I won't overspend this month. You're like, babe, I'm serious. And you're both like, okay, we're going to do this. And you do really good for about a week or two. And then your favorite shoes go on sale. Yes, yeah. Or you're like my husband and your bulletproof vest goes on sale. <laughs> Cabela's? I don't even know. And then you're like, well, I don't really need this. I really don't need this. I'm, but, but maybe we can fit it. Just maybe. No, I really, really don't need it. But then it just gets the best of you. And you say something like, I'll just save a little less this month. <laughs> you ever said that before? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Or maybe, maybe you said I would never go back to that relationship. Right? I'm never going to go back to that girl. I'm never going to go back to that guy. And they text you, and it takes about 2.6 minutes before you're responding. <laughs> never say never. Have you ever realized that sometimes, most of the time, if not all of the time, our willpower just is not enough? Our own mere strength, mere ability, and mere self-control a lot of times just isn't enough. It isn't enough, and our flesh gets the best of us, and we have the best intentions, and we mean what we say when we are like, I want to make the right decision, 
but we just end up caving. You know, this is where Peter is in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus says, you're going to disown me. And I believe that he had the best intentions and the best heart when he said, no, I would rather die, Jesus, than deny you. I love you. I will not do it. But when push came to shove and he was staring death in the face and he knew, man, if they know that I was with Jesus, they're going to kill me. Fear got the best of him and his flesh got the best of him and he caved. He caved. And actually, Paul can relate with this with us on this too. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. You ever been there? <laughs> I've been there. Maybe for you today, it's a little deeper than that. Maybe it's a little deeper than dieting or budgeting or anything like that. Maybe it's a little deeper, and maybe, maybe there's someone that you've been really trying to forgive. Someone who hurt you, and you know, you know you're supposed to forgive. You know that Jesus says to forgive because we've been forgiven of so much. And you try and you try with your own strength. You try to let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. But you just can't. You just can't. I mean, you, it literally, it'll just come back to you. And that anger, that resentment will just come back. And you just can't seem to forgive. Or maybe you've been struggling with an addiction Maybe you're trying to, you know, stop drinking alcohol, and you've been doing really good for a while, but maybe it's just, you know, you had a really, really hard day, and you just can't take it anymore, and you get home, and you're like, screw it. <laughs> or maybe you don't want to go back to those pills. Or maybe this is so common, is you try in our own strength to have joy and to have happiness, and just look on the bright side, just think positive, just think positive, just look on the bright side, but then you're laying in bed at night, and then all of those discouraging and dark thoughts plague your mind, and you end up falling back into depression. Our willpower just is not enough, and our flesh gets the best of us, and we have good intentions, and we've listened to all the podcasts and all of the YouTube messages and been to the counseling sessions and took all the advice, but we end up caving and our flesh gets the best of us. This is exactly where Peter is in the Bible. But something very interesting happens to Peter. And we see what happens is Peter denies Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross, and then he rises from the dead, he's resurrected, and then he, he ascends into heaven. And what's happening at this point in Acts is Peter and the disciples are preaching the gospel of Jesus. And it says, let me find here, got lost in my notes. So Peter is preaching the gospel. And the Sadducees and the priests do not like that they're preaching the gospel at all. They're like, you cannot preach about Jesus. So they arrest Peter and John, and Peter is in jail while this is happening. Acts chapter 4, verse 18 says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So Peter's in jail, and the priests and the Sadducees are saying, you cannot talk about Jesus anymore. You cannot speak about Jesus anymore. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And Peter says this, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, Peter says, you do what you want with me. You torture me. 
put me in jail. You do what you want. You kill me. But as for me, I will not keep silent about what I have seen and what I have heard. I don't know about you, but that seems like two completely different Peters to me. Two completely different people. Same situation, same threat. Threatened with jail and that he would die. And in Matthew chapter 26, he bows to fear. And he tries in his own strength to make the right decision, but he fails. And he ends up denying Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 2, he's faced with the same threat, but his response is completely different. He says, do what you want, but I will not keep, I'm not afraid of death. What happened to Peter? What happened? What changed? What shifted? What made him different? Well, we read about it in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 2 says, when the day of Pentecost came, Peter and the disciples, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. At that moment, One encounter with the presence of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter left the upper room a completely different and changed person than how he walked in. He went from someone who was trying to prove himself. Someone who said the wrong things at the wrong time. Someone who bowed to fear, denying Jesus to a fearless, confident man of God. That's what the presence of God can do. And that tells me that the purpose of the presence of God is number one, to change us. Is to change us. Peter was completely changed after one encounter with the presence of God. The purpose of God's presence is to change us. And I think so many times the temptation It's when we've been coming to church for years, and we've had a relationship with God for years. The temptation is that the presence of God just becomes something that kind of just makes us feel good, check off the box, something just that we do, but it doesn't change us. It doesn't change us. It's fall, and the weather is getting cooler, and I love it. Does anyone love fall as much as I do? Come on, I love it. And there is nothing, nothing better than a fireplace when it's cold outside, right? Or a fire pit, sm- you're, you're doing s'mores on, outside, and there's just nothing better. It just feels so good, right? The sound is just sounds amazing with the crackling, and it, it's warm, and it's cozy, and the lighting is just perfect. Everything, it just feels so good to have a fireplace. Well, I remember about nine months ago when the North Pole decided to hit Texas and it became negative degree weather outside and a lot of us lost power. Y'all remember this? Oh my goodness. Y'all are like, how could we forget? We lost water. It was crazy. And, and our homes are now getting freezing cold because it's negative degree weather outside. And our homes are freezing cold. And I remember now everyone starts scavenging for firewood. You can't find it anywhere because firewood is now a necessity. 
And all of the sudden, our fireplaces turned from something that just is nice and makes us feel so good to something that we need to change the temperature of the room. And when it comes to the presence and the power of God, God wants to remind us today that he wants to do more than just make us feel good. He wants to do more than just make us look good. He wants to change us. He wants to do more than just taking a cute photo in the courtyard and say, great day at church today, great word. Wants to do more than just posting your verse of the day on Instagram with your coffee mug and your candle. I'm not saying these things are bad, but were you changed? Were you changed? Or did the message on a Sunday just go in one ear and out the other and you just checked off the box? Or did God speak something to you? Did God shift something in you? Did he change you? It's the purpose of the presence of God. And in order for the presence of God to change us, we have to do something very difficult. We have to admit that we need to change. That's tough. (laughs) That's tough. Especially when you've been walking with God for a long time. You have all the knowledge. You have all the experience. You can answer all the Bible questions. We know it all. It becomes hard to admit. Now, we wouldn't say that with with our words. Usually we say, oh, yeah, no one's perfect, right? But in our hearts and in our actions, it doesn't, it doesn't show. I think of the Pharisees in the Bible, which I'm not about to rip on them because I relate with the Pharisees. I really do. I mean, they did all the right things. They were so devoted, you know, and, you know, they get the worst, worst rep. But anyways, the Pharisees had all of this knowledge and information about God. They knew it all. They, I mean, you, you could ask them any question about the Bible, and they knew it, front and back. No one knew the Bible like them. They knew it all. But the difference between Pharisees and followers of Jesus is that followers, followers of Jesus, they were willing to change. They knew they needed to change. They knew they were desperate for change. And the Pharisees struggled because it's like they knew it all. It's like they knew it all, and Jesus, the the Savior of the world, the Messiah, is standing right in front of them, and they can't see or admit that maybe, just maybe, they don't have it all together. Maybe they don't know it all, and Jesus is beating his head against a wall because he's like, you are the ones who need to change the most, but you refuse to admit that you need to change. And I think today, we just, we just have to take the first step and just admit, man, there's areas in my life I need to change. There's areas in my life, even me today, I'm like, man, there's areas of my life that need to change, that God wants to change. Areas of my life that don't look like Jesus. And that we have to say, man, God, what do you want to change in me today? So not only admit that you need to change, but when you come into the presence of God, you come into church, or you have your quiet time at home, ask this question, God, what do you want to change in me today? What attitude, what perspective, what, what my speech, how I act, how I live, what do you want to change to make me look more like you? But what about those of us who uh, we know we know we need to change. 
Those of us who are like, you don't need to tell me twice, I know I got my issues. <laughs> what, about, what about those of us who are like Peter and Matthew chapter 26, who are trying to do all the right things? We're trying to live. We know we, we need to make changes in our life. We know, you know, we need to grow. We know we need to change. And we tried everything. We've tried everything for years and years, and it just doesn't work. And we fall short. And we live in these cycles and these patterns, trying to do right, but always going back. What do you do then? And I would say to you today that maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing. Maybe we're focusing so much on behavior and external things when, we, when, when the fact of the matter is, is that the presence of God isn't even concerned necessarily about your behavior. He's concerned about your heart condition. God isn't just wanting to change your behavior. He's wanting to change your heart. You know, when I was, uh, I think, around 15 years old, I got this really nasty bacterial infection, and this is really gross, so I really hope you don't have a weak stomach, so just fair warning. <laughs> got this really bad bacterial, bacterial infection on my skin, on my thigh, and I couldn't figure out what it was. It started out really small, just itchy and uncomfortable and whatever, and I tried, I tried all these ointments. I tried all these creams. I tried covering it and bandaging it, just hoping it would get better, and it just got worse and worse and worse, and finally it got so big, so uncomfortable that I finally went to the doctor, which I probably should have done that way earlier. I go to the doctor, and he takes one look at me, and he says, Madison, you have ringworm. That's disgusting. I said, what worm? It's nasty. He wrote me an antibiotic prescription. I went home, took maybe one, maybe two, and it was gone, disappeared in maybe two days. What's the point? The point is sometimes there's some things in our lives that can't be healed and cured on the outside. It's not an external problem. It's an internal. It's an internal problem. And when we're talking about the presence of God changing us, he wants to change us from the inside out, not the outside in. Peter's behavior changed when his heart changed. Peter's behavior changed when he got filled with the Holy Spirit and the presence of God changed him from the inside. Matthew chapter 23, verse 26 in the New Living Translation says, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish and then the outside will become clean too. You know, I remember just not too long ago, there was a situation that I was absolutely blood boiling furious about. You ever been there? For some of y'all, I'm probably like, I can't picture you being that angry. Oh, just ask my husband. He knows. I was, I'm talking like nothing could cool me down. And I was about to lose my ever-loving mind. And he's trying to talk me down, and I just cannot. I cannot calm down. And I know in my mind, like rational thinking, you know, but, but my emotions and my anger is overpowering. And so finally, after like, an hour of trying to talk it through. I'm like, okay, this isn't helping. I go to my office, shut the door, turn on worship music, and I don't even say anything, but I just remember just going to God. I close my eyes, and I remember just the presence of God coming in, and I didn't even say anything, but I felt God say, 
I hear you. I see you. I know. I know. And he gave me like this big hug. I didn't even have to say anything. But as I was sitting in the presence of God, he began to minister to my heart. And I'm telling you, the anger melted away. That anger, that, I mean, just ugliness, it just melted in the presence of God. When I was trying to just talk it through and make the right decisions, it wasn't working. But when I stepped into the presence of God, it just melted it away. You know, the presence of God can do in your heart what you could never do in your own strength and your own might. Things that you've been trying to do for years. Things that you've been trying to break through for years and just make. No, no, no. You need the presence of God to to clean you on the inside and do a hard work. And my question for you today is, would you let the presence of God change your heart? I'm talking get in your business. Get in your dirty laundry, the deep places. God wants to do so much more than just a surface level work. He wants to do a deep work and heal your heart and set you free from the inside out. God wants to change us. He wants to change us. He wants us to look like him. The presence of God wants to change us. But here's the thing, and this is how we're going to close, is that the presence of God doesn't just stop at changing us. And a lot of times in our lives, in our culture, that's where a lot of us stop. But it doesn't stop there. Because Peter in Acts chapter 2, when he got filled with the Holy Spirit and he encountered the presence of God, this is what he did not do. He did not lock the door. <laughs> He did not grab a pillow and a blanket and grab as much canned goods as he possibly could and just try to hunker down and protect himself from the rest of the world. This is the picture of a lot of Christians today, isn't it? Isn't it? Just, okay, now we're good. We're blessed. We have a relationship with God. We're raising a godly family, and we're changed, and we're walking with God. Let's just stay here. Let's just stay here. Let's just leave the presence of God, you know, in, in church on a Sunday morning. Or in our, in our morning quiet times. Let's just leave it. Let's just keep it. Just keep it here. But that's what Peter did not do. Peter immediately, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he went out. And he started preaching the gospel to thousands and thousands of people. And I want to read this to you because in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, after he was preaching the gospel... It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The people said, what do we do? What do we do? Do you know that that is the same exact question that our world is asking today? They may not say it with their mouths, but it is the cry of their hearts. What do we do? What are we here for? What is the purpose of life? They have so many questions, and they're searching for answers. The world is asking, what do we do? And we have Christians who are in the upper room trying to just stay protected and stay comfortable. And there is a world of thousands of people right outside our doors who are searching for answers, desperate, desperate for answers. You know, the world will go to crazy things for answers. Crazy things. Did you know that the psychic service industry is a over $2 billion industry? I mean, it's Halloween and we see 
We see how hungry and drawn people are to the supernatural for answers. Psychic service industry includes mediums, fortune tellers, palm readers, astrology, healing crystals, which is all, by the way, a counterfeit version of what the real presence and power of God can give them. They are paying mad money. I'm talking mad money for these things. Searching for answers. Desperate for answers. Saying, what do we do? What do we do? And here's the thing today as we close. Is we have the answer for them. We have the answer. We have the answer, which is the presence and love of God. We have the answer, but we're so stuck in our comfort, in our own busy lives, going to church, working a full-time job, trying to raise a family, so concerned with ourselves, trying to protect ourselves when, listen, it was never meant to stay with us. The presence of God was never meant to stay with us. And you may be thinking, man, I didn't know today was going to be an evangelistic message. I would say I, I didn't either. I didn't, but I read people in the Bible who got encountered by the presence of God. None of them, none of them kept it for themselves. Peter, the disciples, Paul, they got encountered and changed, and they took it with them. And they were used by God to change others. God wants to change you, but he doesn't just want to stop there. He wants to use you to change other people. Our world is searching. And God is desperate to reach them, desperate to heal them, desperate to set them free, desperate to give them true life and living water and real freedom. And he wants to use us. And he's like, would you get outside of your comfort zone? And would you please, for the love, go and share what I've given you? How do we do this? It's so easy. You bring people into the presence of God by getting them to church. I did this this week. I invited my nail technician to come to church. You can bring them in, but we can't stop there. We got to bring it to them. We have to be like Peter and bring it to them. How do you do that? Living a life where your faith is obvious. Is your faith obvious? Do people know about your faith? Do they know about your trust in God? Do they know about your testimony and what God set you free from and what he healed you from? Is your faith obvious? I remember um, just a few nights ago, we were with Marshall's family and, and uh, we're playing a game and the question was, tell something about yourself that you love that's not physical. <laughs> and so we all go around and say random things. Marshall says, I like my humor. I say how I like that I'm practical, but also spontaneous. <laughs> and, I, and I should be more spiritual than that. But it gets to Marshall's dad, who's just an amazing man of God, and he's sitting back, just chilling, and he just goes, I like my faith. That's it. I like my faith in God. Next question. I thought that was so powerful because any chance we get, we should take the chance to share our faith. Any chance. I'm talking Thanksgiving, you're going around the table. What do you thankful for? I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. For Jesus that died for me and set me free. 
Listen, bringing the presence of God to our world doesn't look like standing on the side of the road holding a sign that says, turn or burn. No, it's, it's not shoving God down people's throats. I'm not talking about that. That will, that will just valid, validate their feelings of Christians are judgmental. You know what I'm saying? Bringing the presence of God to our world looks like sharing our faith and just saying, I like my faith. I'm so grateful that Jesus died for me. Bringing it to them, taking any chance that you get to pray. Maybe you lead, you know, a business meeting at your work, or maybe you coach a team of some sort. If it honors your authority and you're able to just say, hey guys, we're gonna pray really fast. Or maybe you end the meeting, hey, we're gonna pray before we go. Just any chance you get to invite the presence of God. That's how we take it to our world. That's how we see our cities flipped upside down. That's how we see the lost saved and the bound set free and the sick healed. Just by bringing it to them. And I really feel like we are going to start seeing so many testimonies, not just in these four walls and at our campuses, but testimonies of things that happen on the streets and at every corner and in, and in all, of our, all of our cities and our entire metroplex and at the Dallas Dream Center. My goodness, seeing a city, an entire metro, metroplex flipped upside down. Why? Because we are saying, God, you can change us. But God, you can also use us to change others. And we're not keeping the presence of God to ourselves, but we are going to take it to every nation and every street corner. And every single person that we meet is going to know that we have the answer. That we have the answer. Will you stand up with me across this place? Come on. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 8 in the message version says, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. He says, go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom of God is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. You have been changed, so now go and change others. God wants to change us, and he wants to use us to change others.